You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamualaikum, listeners. <laughs> uh, you have myself, Cash, from Boots and Beards, uh, and my brother, Osman, here as well. This show aims to cover a range of lifestyle topics, from spiritual, mental and physical health, and well-being. We will also be looking at travel and leisure activities for all of the family. Today, we are discussing nutrition. And we are very lucky to have as our guest, Trisha Clark. She's a naturopathic nutritional therapist and member of the British Association of Nutritional Therapists. That is a long title, <laughs> Trisha. Um, Trisha, with the students contemplating what role to play in society, with obviously with their exams, uh, tell me, how did you become a nutritional therapist? Um, hi, Cash. Well, thank you first for having me. Uh, thank you for having me. No problem. Um, I guess I've always been interested in alternative medicine, really, um, and I'd been thinking about a career change for a few years. So I started researching some courses, um, and I had some positive feedback about the College of Naturopathic Medicine, which is based in London, um, but they also run courses in Edinburgh. Okay. Um, and nutritional therapy interested me in particular because it's a very personal and individualised, if you like, healthcare programme that we put together for people. Um, so I registered, took the course, took three years to complete, um, and I got my diploma in nutritional therapy. Was that in London or in Edinburgh? Uh, no, it was in Edinburgh. I it was in Edinburgh. Yeah. Right, okay. Excellent. Um, now, as always, why is nutrition important? It's not a very you know, interesting subject, but for our well-being, it's, it's important. So, uh, as I said, why is nutrition important? Well, firstly, I would disagree with you that it wasn't an interesting subject. <laughs> 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 I'm for the masses. <laughs> um, so, for me, I suppose good health is much more about um, simply the absence of disease. Good health is a positive quality. Um, it includes physical, social, intellectual, emotional, as well as spiritual well-being. Um, and optimal nutrition provides all the nutrients that your body needs in both the right type and the right amount to function optimally. Um, and I see nutrition as the cornerstone of good health um, and actually the cutting edge of prevention. So the foods that we eat um, and the nutrients that they should provide are the most important environmental factors which influence our growth, our development, our functional abilities and our overall health. All right, excellent. So as you see, there's a lot to contemplate with regards to your nutrition and health. Um, they say obesity is the new epidemic and uh, should be targeted by the health board in the way smoking was. Uh, what is your opinion on this and what is the solution? Well, I would say obesity itself brings with it a number of risk factors for individuals. So things like heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, diabetes, gallbladder disease, breathing problems, asthma, loads of different um, things. And there certainly does seem to be a consensus that obesity is putting a financial strain on our current medical care systems. I certainly believe that nutritional knowledge um, 
with education of both the general public and healthcare professionals is critical. Um, if we're to succeed in addressing this and significantly, significantly re reducing those um, leading killer diseases, if you like. Um, so how we structure our lifestyles with proper nutrition, health habit, discipline and exercise will have a great influence on our personal health. So education is key here for me. Um, but what is missing is that something that nutritional therapy can actually bring to the table and it's nutrition and lifestyle interventions that are personalised to people's individual needs. Okay, okay. Um, and that's the important point, that everyone's different. Yeah. Um, so a one-size-fits-all system of healthcare isn't necessarily going to work for everyone. All right, okay. So with, uh, as we were talking about obesity there, um, is overweight and obesity two different things, or would you just class them both the same? Um, generally, they're classed by your um, body mass index. So it's a scale, um, it's a calculation based on your weight and your height. Um, obesity um, puts you into a higher body mass index than just being overweight would. Okay, so for ourselves, um, you know, to be the perfect person, mm -hmm. um, would overweight be acceptable, or should we be looking at trying to find the optimum weight for ourselves? Well, as a nutritional therapist, I would always, always be striving for optimal. Optimal. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think there are some instances where um, the BMI calculation doesn't work for people. So um, for athletes and things, the way that it's actually calculated isn't going to work. But for the general population, it's a good indicator of where you are in the scale um, and, and what your weight should be. Is there any other um, ways we, where we can find out like, you know, how much weight should we be acceptable? Like, um, through the doctors, do they do they also use the BMI index, or do they have a, another? No, your your doctor would um, refer to the body mass body mass index. But actually, a very good way to to figure out your risk factor now they have discovered is to measure your waist to hip ratio. Okay. Um, because this fat that we get round our middle. Yeah. Um, is specifically a risk, fac risk factor um, oh, yeah. for a lot of different diseases. So I'll be working on that. <laughs> 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 we'll get the measuring tape out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that in the drawer at the moment. Um, with uh, yourself, Osman, yeah. um, do you have any problems with uh, overweightness, obesity, or anyone in your family? Do you feel... Um, I do. I think with nutrition at the end of the day, it's, it's a very important factor that we need, we're discussing this, which is really great. And I think that during this month of Ramadan, especially when everyone's fasting, it's a very key point to understand that even though this month it's all about spiritualization, it's all about fasting and you're, you're trying to uh, embrace within your religion and your faith, it's very important to understand that you're not, you should not let yourself go because you're starving your body for a, a long period of time. And in that time, in the morning, you only have a short period where you can actually start, set your fast in the morning, have certain types of food to get your energy throughout the whole day, trying to keep your thirst at bay. And when you come to the evening to open your fast, um, a lot of people, unfortunately, do the, the classic where we just basically eat everything that's been fried, everything that's available to us, everything which looks really luxury and very lavish. But we forget at the end of the day, it's our bodies that we're putting this food into. So what I would like to ask yourself is, uh, particularly yourself, during this month of Ramadan, because within the UK, a uh, majority of the population, of the Muslim population, who are able to fast, they are um, basically trying their best to set their fast correctly in the day. What would you say in your own recommendation they should be able to eat in the morning um, and why to help them during the day? Um, well, 
for me as a nutritional therapist, what I'm looking at is that the functional aspect of fasting um, has a detox effect on your body. Right. So what I'd be looking to do is to support that, that detox. So I'd probably f- be focusing on four things. Number one would be taking care of your liver. So your liver is a big player in supporting your detox. So you want to make sure you're taking care of it and feeding the, food, uh, the f- foods that will support it. So foods like coriander, beetroot, foods containing sulphur are especially good. Watercress, onions, garlic, um, brassicas um, are all going to help your liver function optimally um, and support that detox process. And bear in mind as well that your liver needs protein to function properly. So make sure that you're including enough quality protein um, in your diet. That be like Um, chicken and fish? Yes, eggs. Eggs um, as well. Quinoa, things like that. Quinoa is a type of... Uh, rice or um, quinoa is actually a seed, it's a but seed. people um, mistake it for a grain. Yeah. If you like, it's got okay. a kind of nutty flavour. Right. Okay. Um, um, but it's a lovely quality protein that no, you can include yeah. in your diet. Good. Good. Um, so number two that I would focus on is making sure that you're getting enough antioxidants. Mm-hmm. So when you're fasting and you're detoxing, your body's actually producing more free radicals, um, and these are unstable molecules that can cause damage in your body, basically. Um, and they're putting stress in your body. So you want to make sure that you have plenty of antioxidants to mop these up um, and neutralise them. So eating what we call a, a rainbow of fruit, a rainbow diet of fruit and vegetables will make sure that you're getting lots of antioxidants. Right, okay, excellent. Um, uh, again, Trisha, as we were talking about um, our diets and stuff, um, you um, said something about eggs. Um, I think we're told not to eat them often due to the cholesterol in them, but they seem to be very fashionable. Are they good for us or not? Well, this is very on topic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As with most things, there's a wee bit more to the story. So eggs are an excellent source of quality protein and they have one of the lowest energy to nutrient density ratios of any food. They contain some very healthy vitamins and minerals. So things vitamin A, a bit of vitamin D, B6, magnesium, calcium, potassium. So from a nutrition perspective, you would think that that would qualify eggs as good. Yeah. Um, but having said that, it's been a bit more difficult to establish that eggs are not bad. Right. Um, so if you think of your cholesterol levels that you mentioned, they are made up of what we refer to as both good and bad cholesterol. Right. Um, and as your question alludes to, the controversy revolves around the dietary cholesterol co- content of eggs and what this dietary cholesterol does to the bad cholesterol levels in your blood. Um, And if your bad cholesterol is too high, it increases your risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Okay. Ongoing debate, but it seems that the current evidence has exonerated eggs, if you like, um, and it's agreed that dietary cholesterol from eggs exerts a relatively small effect on bad cholesterol levels in your blood. There's a wee bit more to the story, um, and we can't quite... um, back that evidence up for people with diabetes. Okay. Um, so a little bit of a question mark remains around that, but in balance, eggs are probably not bad for your cholesterol le- levels. Cool, good. Uh, I had a, a pharmacist friend, so every morning he would bring uh, five boiled eggs to work with him every morning, with a bit of tomato ketchup, but he would not eat the yolk, he would just stick to you know the outer part, the white. Um, he goes because that was full of protein and the yellow was, was full of fat. So she said you should just disregard that and just stick to the white. Um, is that correct? Well, I don't think that fats are bad. 
Right. I think the yolks themselves have a lot of those healthy vitamins and minerals that we yeah. were that we were talking about, um, and I think that people have kind of built up an aversion to fat, mm. um, and I think that healthy fats in your diet actually do you good. Oh, right. yeah. okay. So a yolk would be a healthy fat, or yes, yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, again, as we're, we're talking about diets, the, mm. people go on diets all the time, obviously to improve their own. The, their weight, their own health as well. Um, there are many fashionable diets out there, uh, but they can be a bit confusing and some of them can be quite harmful as well. Uh, but there's one that's uh, called the paleo diet, is that correct? Yeah, um, it, paleo diet, yeah. Paleo yeah. diet, sorry, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so the pa- paleo, paleo? paleo diet, <laughs> um, uh, what, what, what is that mainly? Um, um, so it's actually, paleo is short for paleolithic, um, and it's just that, a diet based on the types of foods that we presume uh, our ancestors would have eaten, um, early humans. Mm. So a paleo diet is typically high in good fat, moderate in animal protein, and low to moderate in carbohydrates, but with plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables. It excludes dairy, cereal products, and processed foods. Yeah. Um, as they wouldn't have been eaten by our ancestors. Yeah. Um, and this diet doesn't generally advocate calorie counting or portion control, but it's more about listening to your body um, and eating for your needs, if you like. Um, and one of the things that, um, for us that we look at that this diet does is it switches your um, energy source away from carbohydrates and onto those healthy fats that we were talking about. Oh, right, okay. And that means that the effect of um, consuming foods that are broken down quickly um, into sugar, into your bloodstream, is minimised. Right. Okay. Um, and that can have a lot of uh, positive effects, especially around that, uh, to that fat around the middle that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> the way she referred to that cash of the same time. She keeps looking at me. I know, exactly. In that direction. <laughs> with, with, with that particular diet, um, mm. I, I always assumed, with, with, as you're saying, with that weight around the belly area, you'd always have to do crunches or some sort of exercise to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, by being on a diet, um, such as the paleo diet, uh, would that help it? Um, yes. Or would you need the exercise? Sorry. Well, exercise is always good. Right. Um, absolutely. Supplement it with that. But what we're looking at, are the mechanisms in the body that are happening that give you that fat around the middle, um, is your blood sugar levels being out of balance. Um, and in particular, that meaning that you um, there's an excess of insulin in your system. Right. So insulin is stored um, in your cells, but in particular around this fat around the middle. Oh. So if you can control your blood sugar levels, you control the level of insulin you have in your body, and you minimise that fat around the middle. All right. I, I'm, as you're probably aware yourself, um, a lot of Asian people are, get diagnosed with diabetes because it's, it's hereditary or it's, it's in their, their genes and stuff. So um, with the paleo diet, would that seem to help? Yeah, it's all lower about their their chances of getting diabetes and stuff. It's all about controlling your blood sugar levels. Just yeah. right. Okay. And the earlier you start that, the more benefits you'll see. Benefits. Would you see there's any disadvantages of being on the paleo diet? Um, well, I I'm a great proponent of not everything is suitable for everyone. Right. Um, so I very much encourage my clients to to just try. Um, different things and see what suits them best, how it affects their energy levels, how it affects their sleep. Okay, excellent. Um, there's also, uh, we were um, just staying on diets here, there's one called the 5-2 diet. Yep, um, so that's a diet that's about promoting intermittent fasting and the health benefits that that can bring. Um, 
the type of intermittent fasting promoted um, doesn't mean stopping eating entirely, but it means reducing the amount you eat, but only for short periods of time. So you eat normally for five days, and you consume the usual or recommended amount of calories, dependent on your gender, okay. which is 2,000 uh, 2, for women and 2,500 for men. And then you would drastically cut your calorie intake for two days, down to 500 for women and 600 for men. Um, you get to choose the two days of the week that you'll be cutting the calories, um, and some people choose to have them back-to-back, -back, and some people choose to split them over the week. Can that be harmful, going straight from, say, 2,000 down to 500 calories? Well, there's actually a lot of benefits shown um, with intermittent fasting. Um, and although the 5-2 diet is generally marketed as a weight-loss diet, um, there's a lot of different things that can happen. You can control your blood sugar levels, you can lower your cholesterol levels, um, and you become more sensitive to insulin. All right. Okay, good. Um, there was uh, one particular question that I wanted to ask you, uh, Tricia, was the, some people do say that having three big meals is better um, than having several small meals a day. Uh, what would you say? Would you, would you say several small meals or three big meals? Well, everyone's different, Cash. Um, that's maybe a wee theme that you're getting here from me. Um, during a nutritional therapy consultation, we would assess an individual's nutrient status, but we would also assess the systems of the body that may be under stress. So, for example, if we want to support someone's blood sugar levels, it might be more supportive for them to have several small meals a day initially. Whereas if there are issues around digestion, it may be that this system needs a break and eating less frequently would be more productive for that individual. Um, I've recommended both to my clients, but it's always based on their individual circumstances. Oh, cool. Uh, I believe uh, Usman had a question um, that he wanted to ask. Yeah, um, my question to yourself, Trisha, was just to ask that if somebody decided to change their life, as in healthy eating as of from today, mm -hmm. um, what um, advice could you give them and what's the very first thing that they should do or what should they start to consider before they start to eat healthy or go on a healthy you know, lifestyle change? Um, well, if someone has any health problems, um, significant health problems, we would always say, you know, go and see your doctor first off mm. um, and get yourself checked out. Um, but there's a few kind of probably simple interventions, simple things that you can do with your diet um, to make you more healthy in the first instance. So things like reducing sugar and processed foods, yeah. take them out of your diet and focus on, you know, healthy whole foods. Um, so I always think things that don't have an ingredient list, you don't need to worry about that. Whole so, foods. Uh, no, no donor kebabs in. Burgers, pizzas, chips. Do you know what's in them? <laughs> Actually, I don't want to know. <laughs> I've heard some horror stories. Um, um. And changing what you drink. Drink yeah. plenty of water. Cut yeah. out the, the, the fizzy drinks. Um, focus on water. And they're just simple things that you can do that, that start along that road to healthy eating. Yeah. And I suppose like anything else, if you are going to start to eat... Um, join in a healthy lifestyle or change your diet, always consult a doctor first if you are concerned about you know, what you should and shouldn't do doing and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's really good. Excellent. Um, what are the absolute healthiest foods you would recommend? I would love to get the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone have your pen ready for this answer. Well, it's not going to be a succinct answer. Okay. Right, okay. <laughs> there are far too many to choose from. Um, and believe me, I love my food. Um, so, right, I'll, I'll group them together then. Um, 
Vegetables are what I think of as our protection foods. They're full of vitamins, minerals, and what we need for our body to run properly. Um, but also full of phytonutrients, um, which come from plants, and that helps protect both them and us when we consume them. Is, uh, would frozen vegetables be fine, or is it better to have, you know, Fight. organic? Always better to have fresh. Fresh. Um, and always better to have organic if you can. But we're very mindful of people's individual circumstances. Yeah. Um, so if you don't have any vegetables in your diet... Um, and that's something that you want to introduce and you feel it's easier to maintain used fro frozen vegetables, then absolutely introduce them first. Yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's about people's situations, their individual circumstances, so that what we would advise for them. Yeah, good, 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 good. Would you say that with, in that note with vegetables, indeed, some people, unfortunately, due to a costume factor, cannot afford organic yeah. vegetables so they may turn to maybe tin vegetables and or may look at you know buying like you know pre-cut ones and so on um again would that be something that if you can try to avoid avoid them or is that just as good or um well absolutely would be the organic um fresh vegetables are absolutely top of the tree if you if you like yeah. um however absolutely understand that people have time constraints on them, yeah. people have financial constraints on them, you know, there's lots of different things going on in people's lives, so sometimes you can't do the absolute best um, and you have to do what you can instead. Yeah. Okay. Excellent, excellent. So basically grow your own vegetables, vegetables in the, in the back garden <laughs> if you can. Like you do. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Mammon grows our own herbs in the house, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> so uh, what's the other group saying you have there? Um, so uh, look at proteins, so that's for repair and maintenance. We've talked about a bit of them already. Mm -hmm. Eggs, great protein source. Quinoa, lovely vegan protein source, and it's a complete protein as well. Um, carbohydrates are a fuel. Mm. Um, Slow-releasing carbohydrates there. Okay. Back to your belly fat, Cash. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's going to help you there. She's breathing in at the moment. Control your blood sugar levels with that. So things like brown rice, sweet potato, even root vegetables. People forget that they're a carbohydrate source as well. So things like carrots, beetroot, squash, that sort of thing. Fantastic. Okay, good, good, good. Any other group? Um, no. Yep, yeah, on to healthy fats. Yep. Um, very important, very anti-inflammatory. Right. But they also help our cells to function properly. Okay. Um, so I'm a big proponent of people shouldn't be scared of fats, like I said earlier. Foods like avocados, which are also a wonderful source of vitamin E, are yeah. great for you. Seeds and nuts, mm. but especially flax seeds and their oils. Yeah. Um, and oily fish, right. trout, salmon, mackerel. Oh, I love my fish. Yeah. I love no, my no. fish. That's good. That's yeah. Full of omega 3s. That's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> the oilier, the better, I take it. Um, yes, although when you get to um, tuna, unfortunately, yeah. tuna's got a very high mercury content. Has it? Yeah. So tuna's oh. not actually good for you? So tuna's not that good for you. Well, tuna, if we hadn't poisoned our seas, would be a wonderful source of omega 3. Oh. Um, but I think it's because it's such a big oily fish. You even, heard it here even first. If that's it. Even if it's in brain or vegetable or, it's got or that spring water. Mercury content. So I'm not saying don't eat it. Yeah. I'm just saying be mindful and don't eat it all the time. Okay. Okay. That's off my shopping list. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next, uh, with regards to losing weight, um, people ask low carb or low fat diet for weight loss. Which is it? Well, there's been a lot of reanalysis of this low-fat, low-carb um, debate recently, um, and it's made headlines. Mm. Low-carb diets seem to have come out on top um, because they're showing to give more weight loss in the first instance, 
but it should be noted that as the studies carried on towards the kind of year mark of the trials that have been carried out, um, the amount of waste, weight loss experienced um, between the two diets kind of tended to even out. But one of the reasons for that is likely to be compliance, and most people struggle to stick with a, a carbohydrate, a low carbohydrate diet. Sorry. Um, but overall, for overall health, low carbs better. Low carbs better. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. I, I was also just um, there was a news report I seen um, was that copper um, might be helpful in metabolising um, your foods better in your, your stomach. I don't know if you know anything about this. Um, well, I mean, there's a range of vitamins, minerals that can help every process in your body and it's about getting the balance of them right yeah. um, and that's very dependent on individuals needs yeah. um, but yes absolutely there is a bit of copper that's that's needed in your body to help it function properly so I'm not going out there and like go and eat pennies and two pennies but it's like <laughs> no, definitely you know don't. but there is a, a study going on regarding this so that's that's very interesting as well um, Finally, since uh, fasting has uh, the functional effect of a detox, basically, which advice, what, what advice would you give to those fasting to help support the, the process? Well, we actually started talking about that before we Svan's question. Um, so taking care of your liver, those brassicas. Actually, for your liver as well, hot water and lemon um, yeah. is very supportive as well to, to, to flush it out. I've heard that um, having that before you go to bed at night times, for example, is yeah. really helps to relax you. But like I said, yeah. it, it flows the digestive system mm-hmm. and so on, keeps the, health, the liver healthy and, yeah. and it keeps you more positive. Yeah, first thing in the morning as well. Yeah. You know, when, when you get up, first thing you drink, hot water and lemon, and it has that kind of flushing detox effect as well. Be quite so, helpful. Yeah. The, um, with regards to you saying hot water, is that like boil, like a tea temperature, or like when you have yeah, boiling water? Tea temperature. Don't be drinking boiling water. Can, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> can I trust you here? Yeah. <laughs> we'll <see. laughs> yeah. So, like in place of a cup of tea, a cup of hot water and lemon. Very right. good. I always think the lemon um, kind of cuts through your system more if if you add um, hot water to it. Right, okay. I, I think I'd prefer that. I, I don't yeah. like drinking water on its own. Yeah. I prefer it to have a flavour or something yeah. through it. So with lemon, that would be yeah. a good idea. Yeah. A wee tip, if people are, are struggling, a lot of people struggle to drink a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and remember, it's not just lemon you can add. You know, you can add herbs, mint. Cucumber, yeah. Yeah. strawberries. That's it. Raspberries, yeah. Loads of different things to Chocolate. kind of pep it up. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Okay. Well, also there was a, a another uh, study that was going on with regards to milk. Yeah. Um, it, it said that we are only we are the only species to drink milk from another animal, um, and it has actually no benefit to us at all. Uh, there's people in the it's it's a no go area, and other people saying it's absolutely fine. It's good. It's it's got nutritional value to it. What would you say? Um, well, we know that milk is very high in calcium, mm-hmm. um, but the reason that I would tend to steer clear of milk, um, depending on individual circumstances, is that it's very high in um, sugars, um, and sugar that can be difficult to process for people, so that's the lactose. Yeah. Um, also, the milk protein casein can be very difficult for people to process. Um, so it can put a strain on your digestive system, but it can also be quite um, inflammatory to the body. Um, and I think that there's plenty of other sources that you can get your calcium from, and it doesn't have to be milk. 
Although what a lot of people do now is if they do find that they have a milk intolerance and they maybe replace it with things like coconut milk or almond milk, they're all fortified with calcium as well, um, just to give people that peace of mind that they are getting their calcium intake too. Okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Um, there is also uh, another question that keeps popping up. Well, well, actually, myself, I'm not uh, a caffeine drinker, so I don't drink teas or coffees, mm-hmm. lattes, cappuccinos, but whatever they are. I right? am I'm a caffeine <laughs> junkie. Sorry. So yeah. So uh, other people uh, will drink coffees in the morning. Uh, otherwise, they can't function. That, that's their excuse. Mm-hmm. So would you say yourself is is coffee unhealthy? Um, and should it be avoided or is it okay to drink? Well, latest studies seem to say that um, a little filtered coffee, um, back to that kind of organic uh, filtered coffee, is, is okay for you. Um, it's not too bad and it, it does have some antioxidants in it. However, on the flip side is the um, effect that it has on your blood sugar levels again. Right. So what coffee can do is spike your blood sugar levels, give you that insulin response and guess what we're back to, cash... So excellent. So, so, so coffee, like once a day is okay or again, moderation? Again, individual circumstances. What I would be looking at is if someone needs coffee to get started in the morning, why is that? What's happening with their other hormones? So we'd be doing a wee bit more of investigating into that. Excellent. Uh, well, um, as I said before at the beginning of the show, we also touch on travel as, as, as we are a, a Muslim lifestyle show. Um, so just now we have a, a small podcast with regards to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. So we're just going to go over and let you listen to that. Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Let's talk about Riyadh. Riyadh is the capital city of Saudi Arabia. It's a beautiful city. It's a big city, very, very big city. And with a big city, you are going to have a lot of people and you're going to have a lot of cars. So it's 24-hour rush. You know, in UK, we have rush hour. Here, they have rush day. Every single day is a rush. Riyadh is about 1,000 kilometers away from Mecca or Medina. And this is where Islam began. This is where Islam emanated from. And so naturally, we have a very, very deep religious connection with this city. Literally, every single turn you take, you will see a mosque there. SubhanAllah, that's one of the amazing things that you'll find in Riyadh. You literally, it's impossible for you to miss even one rakah of salah. You are within at least 50 footsteps close to a mosque. We have halal food every single place that we go. So, you know, it feels like you are home. Also, there is a cultural connection because Riyadh is such a huge city and Saudi Arabia is such a huge country. They are used to bringing in a lot of expats from surrounding countries, which means that there are Pakistanis, Indians, Africans, Eritreans. You can find any type of people in this city, especially. What does that mean for us? It means that I can find biryani when I want to have some biryani. I can find some idli dosa. Those of you from south of India will know what I'm talking about. Um, I can find uh, a fajita if I want to have a fajita. One place in particular that I would advise a lot of people to go to in Riyadh 
is the ruins of those before them, i.e. it's called Wadi Hanifa. This is where the old kings had their palaces and they are still there for you to see and uh, you can access them, you can go inside them and if you do go inside them you can see the huge difference between how we live our lives now and how, and how they used to live their lives back then. If you go inside you can see the old architecture, how they used to make buildings with mud, with sand, with bricks and it's not very precise as it is now. Back then it was just, you know, everything is just making this wall. So you have bumps, you have curves, you have everything. And you can see how big they used to have their palaces and how, and how they used to live their lives. They used to have rooms dedicated just for sitting on the ground. No entertainment there, no, nowadays there's no TVs, whatever. It's just one room just for sitting. It's actually called majlis, which means a room to sit in. Anywhere in Saudi Arabia, you are going to be advised to eat something that is called kabsa or mandi. Kabsa mandi uh, basically is a rice dish that has a type of meat on it. So it can be chicken or it can be beef, it can be lamb or anything. Now make sure that you get the original kabsa or the original mandi. Um, there are some places that claim that they are selling these types of foods but they are just, you know, um, normal rice with normal grilled chicken. So you don't really get that taste or you don't really get that flavor that the, the, Saudi, the cultural or the traditional Saudi dish has. Um, Saudi Arabia is also known for having a lot of Yemeni restaurants. Um, now the Yemen food in Saudi Arabia is absolutely fantastic. First of all, you need to try a dish called lahsa. Lahsa is uh, an egg-based dish and it has some cream and it's made with weird and wonderful things. Definitely try it, it's very very good. Secondly, a Yemeni dish is called Ma'soub. Ma'soub is like a dessert, it's a heavy dessert. It's got bananas, it's got cream, it's got honey, it's got breadcrumbs. Um, if I'm not selling it to you, just forget what I said and just go and buy it. It's really really good. And again, you know, Riyadh is absolutely filled with franchises from all over the world. So every single thing on the menu is halal. So just go crazy if you want to have a steak. You can go to a steakhouse, you can go to Outback, you can go to Applebee's. If you want to have McDonald's, you know, it's all halal, everything is halal. And uh, it's a weird kind of custom here, especially in Saudi Arabia. People actually go to IKEA just to have the Swedish meatballs. I found that kind of surprising when my friend said, let's go to IKEA. Uh, and I said, I don't want to buy anything. He said, no, we're going to IKEA to have food. Now for us in UK, I, I don't think that's a common thing to do. But in Saudi Arabia, um, the IKEA car park is absolutely jam-packed just because people want to go in and uh, have the food from IKEA. Will I go again? Absolutely, I will go again, inshallah. Uh, I enjoy Riyadh, the expat community there is very very big, you are never too far away from home. I will go inshallah again, I will go to Riyadh, I, got lots, I have lots of family, I have lots of friends there. You have the Kingdom Tower, you have the Faisalia Tower, um, you, you can feel at home when you are in Riyadh. Excellent. That was a, a podcast uh, with regards to travelling to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, now, 
with ourselves on this Muslim Life Show, we were talking about nutrition, and we are just going to wrap it up now. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, yeah. would you have anything left to say? Yeah, all I'd like to say is uh, thank you for all our listeners for listening in, and thank you for Patricia for coming in this evening uh, and participating in the show. Uh, I would just like to thank Patricia for coming in. Thanks for having me. And Usman for thank you very much. being on the show yeah. as well. And I've been Cash from Boots and Beards yeah. uh, for the Muslim Life Show. And thanks for everyone for listening. Take care. Assalamu alaikum. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.